get ready to roll indeed. This is the College and Kimball podcast. I am your host, Jeff Burkhart, finally joined by my man, Justin Nutter. I think, Justin, I speak for both of us, could not be more thrilled that the season is finally here. I don't know about you. What is the what is the worst summer month to make it through in the buildup to the season? Oh, yeah. It's, uh, I mean, probably July. You know, you're really kind of in the grind. Speaking as a Royals fan, there really ain't much on to watch. Um, you know, uh, recruiting kind of winds down a little bit. Obviously, this summer was a little more exciting than, you know, maybe some summers no past for K-State fans. So, you know, maybe that kept the excitement a little higher. But, yeah, you get into those dog days of late July, early August, it's it's a little bit of a grind. So, yeah, definitely happy to see the light at the end of the tunnel here. Yes, sir. No doubt about that. And July is on July is honestly the one I look at and I say, you know, we've got big 12 media days in there and that's usually just enough of a, of a breadcrumb to be like, okay, just this will get me to August and August is usually the month that just drags and drags. And, and you, you, I guess I should say though, you do start to get the press conferences after players report and everything. But even so I, I totally agree with you. June is, June's tough, July's tough. They're all bad in their own unique way, but doesn't matter anymore. We're here, and thankfully, we've got plenty to get to here in our season preview episode. We're going to look at everything K-State, the roster this year. We're going to look at all units, offense, defense, special teams, breakdown schedule for you guys. And really, uh, thank you to all of our, our Twitter followers out there. Follow us if you haven't already. It's college underscore Kimball. We got a lot of questions, and we're more or less going to allow those to be our guide here on this show because they pretty much enable us to touch on all the major units <laughs> for for the team. So uh, with that said, let's go ahead and get things rolling here. We'll start off on the offensive side of the ball. I think every fan always keys in a little bit more on that side as it is. So it, it just kind of makes sense to go that direction. I think that's where a lot of the excitement surrounding this team is. And I hate to downplay the defense because I do think defense is really stacked and arguably has more depth in the offense, but Everybody looks to that side of the ball, and justifiably so. Big change made in the offseason in going away from Courtney Messingham to Colin Klein as offensive coordinator. And we'll let our man at Nordy Jelson kick us off with his question. What do you think will be the biggest change in offensive philosophy from last season? Yeah, you know, bringing in a veteran guy, obviously, you know, you're, you're, you've been rolling with Skyler for what felt like about six years under center, right? Um, I think that's probably going to ease some of the growing pains of a new offensive coordinator. You know, I know the bowl game last year is a very small sample size, but we definitely seem to be slinging the ball a little bit around a little bit more. I know, you know, Martinez is coming in with a bit of a chip on his shoulder in terms of getting those turnovers under control. You know, it's something he's obviously heard. Time and time again, I imagine it had to alleviate a little bit watching the Huskers cough it up twice in the fourth quarter a couple of weeks ago uh, down in Ireland. But uh, all that to be said, um, I do think you're going to see a more up-tempo offense, probably more akin to what we did see in the Texas Bowl. Um, we, you know, we've got the veteran guys for it. You know, it's I know the numbers haven't been super staggering in the receiving core, but this is about as veteran as you can get. You know, uh, at this point, Knowles and Brooks have both been here. I think they're entering their fourth full season of actual, you know, actual playing time. Um, you know, Cade Warner obviously is going to ease that transition for for Martinez, having played with him before. Uh, there's all kinds of excitement surrounding RJ Garcia. So I definitely think the tools are there to see a more up-tempo, maybe a little bit more aerial-based attack. And that's probably going to lead to, you know, maybe five, 10 more snaps a game, which, you know, 
with dynamic playmakers like Deuce Vaughn back there, that could make all the difference. So, I mean, I think you're going to see a little bit more exciting brand of offense this year. I would agree with you on that front. And and looking at the stats from the bowl game, again, I've, I've made my position pretty clear. I don't think there's a lot that you can really take from it. And I know everybody was excited just purely by the result and blowing out a, an SEC team, again, that was down to less than half of a, a, an F- FBS scholarship roster at that point with 38 guys uh, at kickoff. But the other thing that everybody keeps talking about is tempo. K-State only ran 62 plays in that bowl game. Now, granted, I will say uh, the split there was nice – or. The split there was nice in the sense that you had 34 rush attempts to 28 pass attempts. And that was the thing I think that stuck with me is that Collins going to make it a point to be a little bit more balanced because I remember games last season and looking at this, you know, Stanford, 14 pass attempts, 13 against Nevada, 13 against Texas. You just have a lot of these games where K-State – really seemed like they were just so hell bent on trying to control it via the ground. And and that was always messing Ham's MO is trying to keep shorten up the game, eliminate possessions, do everything you can to, to play complimentary football. I think Colin's going to be a little bit more liberal in the sense that he, he trusts the personnel. We've got a lot of experience at every unit on this team. There's no reason to not trust these guys. If they have a bad series or if there's a turnover, there's no reason to not say, hey, we feel confident enough that these guys can go back out next possession and string together a six, seven, eight play drive and get us back down the field in a position to score. So I think that's going to be the biggest change is just more aggressive style from Colin Klein. I do think they will push tempo a little bit more. I know everybody's probably heard the stat by this point, 58 plays per game against FBS competition last year. I think that ticks up maybe to about 65 or so, 65, 66. But I think really where you'll see that manifest more so is is going to be in certain situations where, hey, maybe there's six minutes left in the second quarter. Do we really want to go bang, 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 and see what happens. And then if we go three and out and kick the ball back, maybe defense gets a stop and gets you the ball back with two minutes left instead of 14 seconds or something like that. So it's a chance to steal a possession here and there. That's what I think is going to be the biggest change is just, again, a a more urgent style of attack that's going to be actually going out there and not playing this plotting style that's very – calculated risk averse. I think it's going to be a, a much more entertaining brand of football. That's going to strive to be balanced as well. I think Adrian and Adrian Martinez is a big reason for that. And I'll, I'll jump next to one of the questions that we got from special K. Do you think uh, Adrian Martinez takes less than three designed runs per game? Candidly, I don't want to see him running the ball a whole lot. I don't know how you feel about that nutter. Um, you know, given his injury history, I don't think necessarily any more than you have to. Uh, you know, if he if he has to tuck it and run, that's one thing. Obviously, I do think he's still you know a perfectly capable threat on the ground. But in terms of actual design runs, I mean, three probably sounds about right. That said, do I expect him to have to tuck it and run? You know, seven eight times a game? Sure. That's I mean, it's just kind of expected by his style of play. And again, I, I'm not going to bar uh, you know bark too much if there's more than that i just uh, again 
we we know what's behind him, and, and especially with Chris Kleiman earlier today, as a matter of fact, we're recording this on Tuesday, uh, having said Jake Rubley is the next man up if mm-hmm. there is a hat that comes off or if there is an injury. So just knowing what the quarterback room currently has, I I, I, I trust Adrian Martinez just with how, how many starts and how much football this guy has played. He's got 38 career starts. He's heady. He knows when to get down and slide. He knows when to get out of bounds and not to push and force the issue to try to get an extra couple of yards. I think he is a much more dynamic runner than Skyler uh, because Skyler was much more, <laughs> it's, it's weird to say, a goal line quarterback. Mm-hmm. Again, you, you, mm-hmm. he was very heady in those situations down around the five and 10 yard line where you were running read option a lot. And he was great at reading those and getting into the end zone. But I think Adrian Martinez is a little bit more explosive and you might see more designed runs for him. Maybe once you're outside of that, uh, that arena, because that was the thing we didn't really see a lot of designed runs called for Skyler on second down and six from our own 38 yard line. You know, sure. that, that was one of those things where it was much more goal line focused. So again, my hope is that we try to do our best to manage how much Adrian Martinez runs, but I, in the same breath, I, I don't think you want to handicap and limit one of the things that makes him a dynamic quarterback. And is that, that is his ability to take off and run. And, and by, by all accounts, he's one of the faster guys on the team as well. So again, you want to take advantage of that when you can looking at another question, this one coming in from Benji. I, I know who this guy is. Shout out, uh, graduated a year before me, Shawnee Mission West, who was primed for a breakout offensive season. Got a lot of candidates here, Nutter, but I'll let you jump on this one first. Yeah, I mean, if you want to talk true breakout in terms of, you know, we haven't necessarily heard their name a lot. You know, I know all of the talk out of preseason camp was uh, was R.J. Garcia. I mean, it sounds as though he has really kind of turned a corner in the receiver room. I think the issue for him might be uh, – getting sacked because as it stands, he's probably the fourth receiver right behind, behind uh, Malik Knowles, Phillip Brooks, and then Kay Warner. So the only concern there might be, are they going to spread it around to actually enough to get him those numbers? But uh, if you want to talk about a guy who's maybe quote unquote underachieved, you know, I'm looking at a guy like Malik Knowles who finally was able to really put it together and stay healthy all of last year, but then only recorded 29 catches for 441 yards and only got in the end zone four times, two of which came in the bowl game. So, you know, it would be nice to see either one of those guys take a, you know, turn a corner. I can't, I guess you can't really say turn a corner for Garcia because he's really just, you know, just now kind of getting his feet wet. But like, I would definitely like to see someone like that out of the receiver room, turn the corner and, uh, you know, take some of the pressure off the running game, you know, make, make Martinez not have to think about running so often and, you know, maybe take a couple of hits off a deuce. Anything you can do to, again, manage the amount of contact that Deuce has to take, because we saw it last year. Deuce was a guy that still got the ball 20 plus times most games. So Mm -hmm. anything you can do to manage that that workload for him would be greatly appreciated on the part of the fans. And I'm sure Deuce as well as he gets uh, set for what we assume will be his final season in a Mm -hmm. Wildcat uniform. RJ Garcia is a great pick. And I, I think just by virtue of his experience. And I think Colin being named the offensive coordinator was the, the main reason or one of the main reasons he elected to come back and finish up at Kansas state. Malik Knowles is probably the pretty easy selection here. 
and I'm like you, I just don't know where RJ Garcia fits into this. We don't know if Jaden Jackson may a guy from Ole Miss that K-State went and got in the transfer portal where he might fit into the receiver core. Keenan Garber's another one who frankly has not made a ton of impact, but he's also reeled in a few passes. He had that big gainer against Oklahoma last season. He's done more than RJ Garcia has to this point in his career. I think you pretty well know what you've got with Phillip Brooks and Cade Warner. I don't really expect either one of those guys to just really pop and all of a sudden go for 45, 50 catches and 600 some odd yards and, and really just blow up as far as their, what they produced historically. I, I think Malik, his performance in the bowl game and what Colin was trying to do. And I think this is one thing I really hope happens really just trying to force feed the ball to Malik, acknowledging that this is the best receiver in the room your your tallest guy and your biggest guy as far as size goes let him go up and try and win a couple of Mm -hmm. one-on-ones and I think that's that's going to be my pick because the other thing on the flip side in the running back room we don't really know who's going to be backing up Deuce Vaughn and frankly I think it's not as clean cut as it was with Joe Irvin. I, I know everybody hopes and wants DJ Giddens to just come in and, and get it right away and be that guy who can come in and supplement Vaughn and give us that 300, 400 yard type of season that we got out of Joe Irvin last year. But I, I just don't know if that's going to happen. I, I think Malik Knowles is the pick here as far as what you will see. Um, now, one one unit that we haven't really talked about yet is the offensive line, uh-huh. and, and I, I'm quite bullish on this group. I, I have no reason to think that there's going to be any kind of a drop-off, even with losing Noah Johnson and Josh Rivas, two guys who started, I believe, every game last season, if memory serves, on both of those fronts. But you bring back the experience with Christian Duffy, KT Levitston has played you know, both tackle spots for you. Cooper Beebe's going to slide down to guard. And Nutter, I, I just do you have any concerns or a, any guys on the line that are or any position on the line, I guess, that's giving you reason to pause and say, well, maybe this might be a deficiency for this group this year? No. And it's funny because I don't know if it's the fact that Kleiman tends to play kids as freshmen, you know, more than Snyder did. So we're just not used to it. Or maybe it's the the extra year afforded by the pandemic where some of these guys have come back. But I feel like more often than not, I'm finding two or three guys where I'm like, how many years has that guy been here now? Um, You know, in that case, you know, guys like Leviston and Duffy, I feel like we've been talking about for like six years at this point. Um, You know, I think uh, the the right, obviously, you know, if if Taylor Poitier can, Poitier, excuse me, can, uh, can play up to the expectations he had coming out of camp last year before he got injured, you know, it sounds like the right side of the line's pretty well locked down with him and Duffy. Um, whether they go with Hayden Gillum or Hadley Panzer, you know, they both got snaps last year. And then the left side of the line, I know where there were some surprises with Leviston being named the starter at left tackle, which affords them the opportunity to then slide BB inside, which they've wanted to do basically since he got here, but they didn't have a reliable enough left tackle to pull it off. So I'm not really concerned about the experience. Um, like I said, a couple of guys are going to have to go out and prove it. Uh, but, you know, obviously there's a lot of optimism coming out of camp. That said, there's a lot of optimizing com- optimism coming out of camp every year. But to answer your overall question, no. I mean, offensive line, as long as Connor Riley's here, I don't think that's a unit I'm ever really going to be concerned about. Because, you know, we haven't even mentioned some guys like like Andrew Langang, who I know has been banged up, but was a pretty highly touted recruit out of high school. And for all intents and purposes, has blown everyone away since he's gotten here couple other guys like, you know, Drake Beckwith, Jordan Pristori, 
uh, John Pastore, um, Jalen Clem, you know, some other guys that came in, you know, with some pretty, uh, pretty impressive offer sheets. I think definitely that there's a pretty solid foundation being laid across the line right now. And I don't think that's going to be a unit we're really going to have to worry about. My only real concern would be, you know, another program might call looking for Riley and offer him a, you know, a deal that we can't necessarily match. But until that happens, no, I'm not worried about the guys up front. I know we're putting a lot into NIL, but let's make sure people that are contributing there, let's make sure we kick a little bit into the assistant coach salary pool. We definitely need to make sure he, he sticks in Manhattan as long as we can possibly keep him here. And, and to, to kind of piggyback off of your overall point, no major concerns for me, just Podier readjusting after coming off of the injury. That's probably the only thing that gives me just a, a, a fleeting pause, but all in all, I, I was thrilled with what this group did last season when they pretty much just had to go hat on hat every single week. Yeah. You didn't really have the element of quarterback run with Skyler after the injury. So when you're blocking, you're, you're just everybody's pretty well going to be keyed in on, well, Skyler's not going to be a threat to run. So if there's one guy in the backfield right now and we and we as a defense read run, this is where we're crashing. And K-State actually improved rushing the ball from 21 to 20 uh, to 162 rushing yards per game on the ground last season. I, I think, again, to, to say you're going to go significantly higher than that number might be a little bit of a stretch, especially too with what we're expecting from the passing game and Adrian Martinez. But at the end of the day, I think this O-line is going to be more than up to the task. And I guess Cooper Beebe sliding into the guard spot and, and adjusting and assimilating there. But I, I think that guy commands so much respect of, of his peers. And I think he's he knows, as well as the coaching staff knows, that's where he's going to likely project as an NFL player. So I think he's going to have ample opportunity to go and show out and, and open up some big holes for, for Deuce Vaughn and whoever else is going to be carrying the ball mm-hmm. for the Cats this season. So great questions from our listeners on the offensive side of the ball. Defensive side, this, was, <laughs> this wasn't a question as much as it was, I just think, a comment. Um, I am Austin McCain uh, just tweeted at us and said, linebacker depth and 12-0. and 0. So I, I love where your head's at <laughs> on the 12-0 and 0 there, no doubt about that. We'll talk about schedule uh, towards the end of this one. But linebacker depth, the, the news and not seeing Will Honus on the two deep, obviously a pretty big big red flag. And and that sucks. It it genuinely does suck because I I think a lot of us were excited. And the more I read into Will Honus, the more I started thinking, well, he was second on the team in tackles and tops and tackles for loss in 2020, but he's been, you know, he was injured in 21. He was injured in 2018. And the question always was, could he be healthy? And it doesn't look like here, at least in in the short term that he's going to be available, but Frankly, looking at the other guys in the linebacker room, I'm really excited to see what Sean Robinson can do for Kansas State this season. But uh, Nutter, I'll give you a chance to sound off on the linebackers. A lot of potential there. Yeah, I mean, you you kind of hit the nail on the head with Honus, right? I think we all knew he was kind of a crapshoot, kind of a roll of the dice if he was actually going to be able to suit up and take the field. It sounds like at least for the first few weeks, that's not going to be the case. I don't think you can really kind of depend on him, you know, for any kind of substantial playing time, at least not right away. You know, you hope maybe that he could, he could spell a guy here or there, you know, as we get into the season, especially since it's not a very, not a very deep group, but all that to be said, it wasn't a very deep group last year and it was never really a cause for concern 
other than if you lose a guy, you know, I know Daniel Green had a couple of a uh, couple of targeting penalties early in the season. That was always a concern. But, you know, he cleaned that up. Um, if you even want to say it's something he needed to clean up. I know it's kind of a subjective call. But, uh, um, yes, my, there's obviously some concern with the depth. But at the same time, you know, I think Green is an absolutely an all-conference player. Um, and then Austin Moore did look pretty good, you know, to uh, to wrap up the year. So, obviously, they'll have to rely pretty heavily on those two guys. It will be pretty interesting to see who else they're able to rotate in. You know, I know there was some talk about, uh, you know, you, you just mentioned Robinson, but there was some talk about, you know, Gavin Forche, the, the the JUCO kid that K-State was able to fend off USC for. Mm-hmm. Haven't really heard his name much since he arrived in Manhattan. I know they've been high on the, the, the freshman Jake Clifton. That's not necessarily a position you want to be relying on a freshman, especially early in the year. So, yeah, you know, if our if our if our ones can stay healthy, I don't think I have a lot of concern kind of like last year with Green and Fletcher. But if anybody goes down, yes, I think there there will be reason to worry there for sure. Yeah, very much knock on wood on that front. And Daniel Green is poised to have a, another monster year. Frankly, he would have eclipsed 100 tackles last season had he been able to compete in all <laughs> all 13 games and not yes. miss any halves that it, that he was forced to by virtue of a couple of again as we discussed on the show last year pretty questionable targeting calls and uh-huh. some where he was just victim of being <laughs> again it's kind of like the tie goes to the runner well the tie goes to the offensive player and and, and they always seem to get the benefit of the doubt when calls go under review but well and to his credit I don't recall after that second targeting call, even I don't recall anything that could even be questioned as a targeting call with him. I mean, I really think he, he cleaned it up because I think he knew how vital he was to be on the field. So it uh, credit to him. I think that I don't believe that's going to be an issue for him moving forward. Very excited to see what he can do this season. And you touched on Austin Moore as well. I remember him getting into the the starting lineup in the Kansas game and, and listening to some of the other K-State podcasts out there. I remember specifically D.Y. talking about how he was objectively playing better than Cody Fletcher at the end of last season. So if if that trajectory continues, maybe this is a, a an instance where you do have more depth than you, you maybe thought you did because, I, I candidly, I, I didn't expect anything really of Austin Moore and or Nick Allen in that sense. But mm-hmm. – these guys are probably going to be called upon to, to contribute a little bit more in the linebacker core. And they, they've always talked about it as a coaching staff, the double rep system, how they, they really do like to try and give ones and twos equal time during practice. So you don't experience such a substantial drop off, but we, we still know at the end of the day that keeping Daniel green healthy is going to be vital. Sean Robinson as well. I think he's another one, the TCU quarterback turned, Missouri defensive back now transferred to Kansas state. And I believe there was a little bit of the Emmanuel Lemur proposition here and getting him to come down from safety and, and really commit to playing the linebacker role. But I think mm-hmm. he's realized that just given his frame and how deep as well, that K state is at safety. That's where he was going to actually have a chance to play this year. And, and that segues into Another question that we got this coming in from T- Tristan Winkle. I know we never confirmed it, but I'm just going to believe that you were 
either Tayton Winkle's brother and or cousin. Uh, please do verify that for us. So hit us up on Twitter, <laughs> Tristan, so we correctly identify you moving forward. But uh, the correct uh, question we got from him, how good do you think the safeties will be? So K-State rolling in new bodies across the way in this department. You lose Jaron McPherson and last season thinking about guys, you know, you had – TJ Smith, Sincere Mason, all these guys that just you can't forget in. Ross Elder. Ross as much, Elder and as much hell as we gave him. Yeah. Uh and, and I was gonna say he had a 53 tackles, third on the team in that department, had four pass breakups, had a pick in the bowl game. Great way to close out his career. And honestly, I, I just remember Nutter, we we talked about it. You never once really he had maybe one or two moments where you really just said, Oh, he missed that tackle, but it was never like the season prior where just, Oh my God, why is this our best option? But yeah. So new slate this year with new guys, you're going to be rolling in a lot of personnel that's got experience. Josh Hayes chief among them coming in from Virginia, but this was a guy that the staff had identified from North Dakota state. He was second team on Missouri Valley in 2019 had 132 tackles, 21 passes defended there along with two interceptions had an ankle injury, kind of a nagging thing that kept him out of the fray at, at UVA. So he transfers. He's going to be uh, in the in the starting rotation here for Kansas State. And I don't want to say he's maybe uh, he's the guy I look to to probably be the most reliable, I guess, in, in the early aughts, just because with Kobe Savage coming up from JUCO that's always a question about how quickly Juco guys can level up from Juco ball to big time FBS football. But Nutter, I'll, I'll let you toss in your two cents here. This is, this is a position of pretty decent concern, but I do think there are some athletes here. Yeah. It's, it's kind of one of those weird deals where, you know, they're not green, but none of them have been here before, right? Like their experience, just not in purple. So it, uh, you know, it might take, it might take the group some time to mesh. Like you said, you know, it kind of remains to be seen. It is kind of always a roll of the dice with a Juco prospect kind of thrust into that starting role right away. But uh, you know, it, it does sound as though people have been high on Kobe Savage. Um, I don't even think we mentioned, you know, since you Mason coming back from that injury, I think there was a lot of concern because that injury happened pretty late in the season and it, appeared to be a pretty serious one. So obviously encouraging to see him on the two deep out of the gate. Um, you know, you, you mentioned Hayes, uh, Drake Cheatham coming in from Prairie View, who has already given us uh, one very solid piece in the secondary before in uh, Reggie Stubblefield. So, you know, th- this this is a unit where you hope they're able to rotate a lot of guys in in these first couple of games. You know, I know you've got a little bit more of a challenge than normal in a, in a home non-con game with, a, with an SEC opponent coming into town. So you hope you're able to, you know, get yourself a little bit of a lead and get these guys some experience because until we know what that, you know, what that starting three group is actually going to look like, you just, you want to get these guys as much playing time as possible. But I do think that this will end up being a strength by the end of the year. There's just a lot of unknowns right now. Sincere Mason leads the secondary technically, if you're looking at all time starts, he has 29. If you include his time at Kennesaw state, Josh Hayes, as I mentioned, probably going to be looked at as kind of your elder statesman for lack of a better word, uh, just based off of his experience at the D one level. But uh, he has 25 starts. But as I said, I think you're going to have to be patient with this group early on. I don't know if Missouri's really going to be the group that, 
test the secondary. Uh, I think if you're going to look to any any one team, obviously, that's really going to try to make life hell for you deep down the middle, that's going to be Oklahoma. And, and frankly, none of us really know what to expect from Oklahoma. But with Dylan Gabriel, with Jeff Lebby there as offensive coordinator, I think they're going to hit the ground running and they're going to be airing the ball out plenty in Norman. So I think that'll be the, probably the, the first true test. So you're hopeful that you can get guys – and get experience here in the non-con. South Dakota is going to be a tougher out than I think a lot of people expect as well. But I think you'll you'll be able to get a fair amount of, of tests in here early. But that Oklahoma game is the one that I'm really, really eyeing as far as the first lit, true litmus test for the secondary. Uh, I would be remiss just briefly before we start to move over to special teams and then wrap things up with the schedule. I don't really think we need to talk about Echo and Julius Brents. Uh, Brents preseason all big tw- uh, first team all big twelve pick. Everybody loves Echo and, and his ability to just lock down the other side of the field opposite Brents. I don't really know what more you can say about these guys. They don't accrue a lot of stats just simply because Echo in particular, because playing the field side, he just doesn't get thrown to a lot. And that a lot of that's again, covering the wide side of the field and play design and everything in between. But I, I guess my question to you, Netter, do you think, does Echo do enough to actually start to get some recognition from coaches and or media by season's end, or is it still going to be a proposition as what we saw last year where he's just not going to be thrown to? Well, you know, and it's interesting you say that because no, he doesn't necessarily have the stats because he's never thrown to, but you have got to imagine, you know, scouts and people with actual skin in the game notice that, right? So like he might not be getting recognition in the paper or on Twitter or anything like that because he's not intercepting the ball. That's because the ball's not there for him to intercept, right? I would love him to get his first pick. And I definitely think he's going to get a couple this year. Um, just because he's got a, you know, an equally able, you know, counterpart on the other side of the field in Brantz, right? Like I think both of those guys have, have NFL potential for sure. Brantz obviously has more size than Echo does, but uh, I mean, they both, it's, it's, it's a pretty lethal tandem back there between the two of them. So uh, yes, I do think he's going to continue to get that recognition and hopefully it does manifest itself in a couple of, uh, you know, in a couple of picks, you know, it, it would be nice to see him get the stats to go along with a, with a really solid style of play. And the other unsung group that we haven't touched on quite yet is the defensive line. And this, honestly, this is probably the deepest I can remember a line being in quite a while. King Felix, we don't need to say much about him. He's going to wreck people this year. He is. Jeff, can you pronounce his name real quick? And Udike Uzama. Uh, a boy. <laughs> Didn't even need to bring up the pronunciation guide. Uh, but yeah, you're probably going to get about 10 uh, different pronunciations from the various broadcasters who are going to be calling K-State games this year. But uh, I am excited to see how he follows up last year's 11 sack performance. And opposite him, Nate Matlack getting a lot of pub. I know we didn't talk about him in the line when we were talking about linebackers, but Khalid Duke, by the sounds of it, with the way that Kleiman has been speaking about him, I'm just starting to be a little bit more resigned to the fact that he's maybe going to be transitioning away from that linebacker role and going more to a hand on the ground, 
rush pass rusher specialist type, yes. which I, I would not be upset by given his size. And I know we know he can get after the quarterback. I, I hate the fact that his, that might've, that injury that he sustained in the Nevada game last year might've ended up costing him a lot of money in the long run with his versatility. And hopefully if he can get back to anywhere close to the form that he was prior to the injury, I would love to see it, but I think we're going to be seeing him a lot more on the defensive line, but Nutter, are there any other guys that you're really expecting big things from on the line this year? Um, you know, I don't think we really talked about the guys in the middle much. You know, it's I think it's pretty paramount that Eli Huggins elected to use his his extra year and come yes. back. And then, uh, you know, I, I'm hopeful that Robert Hintz, you know, in a little more elevated role this year is able to spell him and we're able to uh, to create some depth there because I know depth at uh, at D tackle is not something K-State has really had at any point that I can remember. You know, going back even when I was a kid, I don't remember more than maybe one guy in the middle there. But obviously, yes, you know having a, a, a couple of pretty premier uh, bookends in, in Felix and Matlack. And then uh, th- I think that's going to take some of the stress off of that as well. Um, and then just to kind of add to what you said about Duke, you know, obviously, yes, it sucks for him that, you know, this injury may very well have derailed what, what had a lot of promise for what, what could have been a pretty good career. But uh, all that said, you know, I think the depth or not the depth, but the, but the bodies we have at some of these other positions, I think is going to take some of the, some of the stress off of that as well. And if that, you know, kind of helps him kind of lurk in the shadows, right. And we get him in there on an obvious passing down and they have to worry about two pretty good rushers anyway. And now we got him on the field. I think in general, yes, the, I think the, the front four could, could cause a lot of problems for a lot of offenses this year. Nate Matlack in that mix as well. And Jalen Pickle, Eli Huggins, again, just an embarrassment of riches for K-State along the defensive line. I know a lot of people are maybe overly bullish in my mind about what Nate Matlack's going to do because he really did start to come on at the end of last season. He's been packing on the muscle and he ended up with three and a half sacks last year. I'll I'll just say maybe temper those expectations. If you're saying, oh, he's going to just blow onto the scene and rack up 12 sacks this year. Like, maybe reel that back down just a little bit. I, I think this defense though is as a collective is going to be equipped to take more chances and be more exotic in how they attack opposing offenses. That's the one thing I'm really excited to watch this year. Now I have a couple other questions that we'll get to before we get out of here. We had this one come in and, and Nutter I I'm of the belief again, I, I tend to be pretty conservative about this. This one again uh, comes from a man, Benji, do you consider allowing Deuce Vaughn to return kickoffs and attempt to break Christian McCaffrey single season all-purpose yardage mark? For for the record here, that was in 2015. McCaffrey had 3,864 total yards. That was a 2,000-yard rushing season. He had over 1,000 kick return and 645 receiving. It, it it's too that that number dare I say will will not be touched in quite a long time. Like no, that's just I appreciate, total. You know, I appreciate wanting to get do some extra accolades, but no, I mean, you have a perfectly able kick returner already, you know, that getting that record, like you said, would not only rely on a solid kick return year. It would, re- it would rely on uh, for all intents and purposes, record breaking rushing year. It took Darren Sproles 15 games to even come close to 2000 yards that year, you know? So, I mean, if that's the kind of stuff you're worried about, no, you're doing it for the wrong reasons and you're risking getting him hurt. So no, I don't think it's worth it. 
And my numbers that I dug up, uh, I remember I got into an argument with somebody on Twitter about this, about Barry Sanders and Deuce Vaughn not even being in the same conversation. And I said, I, I did a little bit of digging. Deuce only needs 772 total yards to match Barry Sanders' total career output at Oklahoma State. And he needs 1,510 yards rushing and 18 touchdowns to match Barry in the uh, in those respective categories. So I think if you want to throw a little carrot out there, Deuce getting 1,510 yards on the ground this season, doable. Deuce getting 18 total touchdowns, doable. I, I know if Deuce has that type of a year, then, then again, this team is absolutely going to be poised to make a run to Arlington. And that's where we'll go to, to wrap things up and looking at the schedule. This coming in from Tristan Winkle again, what games does Kansas state have to win if it wants to find itself in Arlington? I've, I've got some thoughts just with the way that the schedule is going to play out this year, Netter, but I'll let you go off on this one first. Well, I mean, the super obvious one is out of the gate in Big 12 play, right? Getting that one in Norman would be pretty massive in setting yourself up for success and ultimately might afford you a loss somewhere along the way. You know, obviously, then the current format, which is probably going to go away as we continue to expand the conference here, right? Only needing to be in one of those top two slots really does kind of afford you a loss. So if you can get that one in Norman, you're going to be in pretty good shape. Um you know, you, you look at games that K-State has struggled with in the last several years, you know, Baylor, uh, Oklahoma State. You know, we always seem to lose to Oklahoma State in very, very frustrating fashion. You know, if you can find a way to get over the hump there against a team that, you know, by all by all accounts is going to contend for a conference title this year. Um, those are the ones you got to win, You know, the ones that you historically haven't in the last four or five years. So uh, I would start there and then you just can't lose one that you're not expected to. I look to the Oklahoma game like you. Oklahoma has a very favorable draw this year. Somehow, some way, they got Oklahoma State, K-State, and Baylor all to come to Norman in year one for Brent Venables. And then you've got the neutral against Texas. So I think Oklahoma is really the team that's kind of set up to with the easiest, easiest path to make it to the Big 12 championship game. K-State going in and stealing one there would be monumental. And then on the flip side, looking down the road, I, I think I'm not sold on Texas quite yet, especially with the news about Naor. And, and and frankly, I don't know what ki kind of team we're going to get if they go in and just get worked by Alabama, if that team's going to be all that motivated after that to really go out. The carrot of a Big 12 championship is enough to get, keep that team motivated because – at this point, we haven't seen it from Texas, and we haven't seen that from Texas in the last decade. And Oklahoma State is the other one that I really point to because a lot of people are pretty high on Mike Gundy. And again, he's he's certainly built up the equity in his time in the Big 12. He's nine and three waiting to happen. And, and frankly, nine and three in this iteration of the Big 12 is likely going to be good enough to get you one of the top two spots. So I think if there's one game that you really want to, to go out and get, it's that Oklahoma state game. Frankly, if you split that and Texas, I think you'll be in a good spot either way. And then that other pairing before that is the one that I look to Iowa state and TCU. I, I think you're going to be catching Iowa state at a good time because frankly, they, they will not have really been tested to that point, especially at home 
because Iowa State's only game of really note through the first five would be their road trip to Iowa. They're they open up conference play at Kansas, and I, I still don't think the Hawks are going to be able to really scare them that much. So I think Iowa State's a game that if you go in and you win that, you're, again, going to be in a great position. So there's a lot of games that I look to in particular. Finding a way to steal the Oklahoma game would be huge. But if you really want to have a chance to make it, you can't lose those games against the teams that are pretty much projected to be right there with you at five and four, six and three. So Iowa State in Ames and Oklahoma State in Manhattan. Those are the two that I've really got circled up if I am a K-State fan. So with all that said, I think it's time to go ahead and put a bow on this. Our season preview episode is in the books. Nutter, again, great to reconnect with you, my man. We're going to be bringing content to you, our listeners, throughout the course of the season. So keep it locked again on the College and Kimball podcast. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at college underscore Kimball. We're going to, again, be doing everything in our power to take Twitter questions, put out polls, and engage more with the listeners throughout the course of the season. So with all that said, I'll go ahead and close it out, wrap it up the way that I always do. Cats fan, if you know, you know.